0: Alright, um, praise God. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, you are good to us? Oh, you're so good to us. Father, you've always believed the best about us, even when we've given you every kind of reason in the world uh, to not believe good about us. Lord, you still have. Father, you've always been so patient with us. You've never given up on us. And Lord, I thank you tonight that, that we are in a place, Lord, where you can speak to us. Lord, we're in a place... Father, where we can hear what You want to say to us tonight. And Lord, we thank You for that. Thank You for bringing us to this place. Thank You for giving us, Lord God, the the breath in our lungs and and blood flowing in our veins and and another chance, another shot, another opportunity at life, Father, to do it the way You created us to do it. And so thank You, Lord. Tonight, as we lean into You, Lord, we're not just here for information. We, We are for revelation by Your Holy Spirit and impartation, Lord, that You would put things in us tonight father that need to be in us from your holy word and we thank you for it in Jesus name amen, amen. and amen all right if you have your Bibles let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 and we'll jump back in there amen um, I was uh, I was asked for those of you who are joining us online I was asked before class someone new to the class if I could somehow in just a few sentences kind of summarize um, The last five classes, of course, that's almost 10 hours worth of teaching. And um, I I will say this for those of you who may be joining us online for the first time or those new to the room. We started with just an explanation of what discipleship really is. And one of the key ways that uh, the Lord revealed to me several years ago to define discipleship is that discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's a process of discovery. Um, attending a class, or for that matter, going to church. It's, it's not about becoming something you're not, unless you haven't been born again. Obviously, if you haven't been born again, you need to experience and receive the new birth. But speaking specifically to men and women who've already been born again, church attendance, completing a discipleship class, small groups, these kinds of things, it's, it's, we don't need to look at it as trying to become something we're not. That was the fatal mistake that Adam and Eve made in the Garden of Eden. Um, They tried to become something they already were. But they didn't realize who they were. They didn't realize they were already like God. And Satan deceived them and told them, if you do this, you'll be like God. The one thing you can never become is what you already are. And so, discipleship is a process of discovery. And of course, it involves an uncommon commitment. It involves continuing the Word. And those are some of the things, of course, that we've covered up until this point. But these classes are not just discipleship classes. These classes, the official title is Discipleship Counselor Training Class. It's taught from the perspective of equipping you to be a minister of reconciliation. Now, the key thing that we focused in on last week is in order for us to grow, we have to go beyond just being served ourselves. We have to, in in physical growth, we go from being completely dependent on someone else as a baby, um, to dependent on someone else to prepare a meal for us, but we feed it to ourselves. But then, to transfer over into full adulthood, we have to be able to prepare a meal for, and even, if necessary, feed it, to another human being. And... In these physical stages of growth and development, we also see a parallel to our spiritual growth and development. And if you're ever going to grow and develop in the things of God, growing up into Jesus is how Ephesians puts it. You're going to have to go from someone doing everything for you spiritually to someone helping you to you helping others. It's for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Coming to church isn't serving God. Coming to church is being served. Okay. Um, serving God is actually doing something for somebody else. Uh, So serving God would not just be sitting there enjoying a sermon, but serving God would be like maybe helping as a greeter or as an usher or caring for the children in the nursery, these kinds of things. Okay, And it's only when we're willing to take that step that we're going to burst through the ceiling that's kept us at one level of growth for many years. I said last week maybe we'll look at it. We didn't, but I feel certain we will tonight. Amen could be famous last words. But Hebrews 5 talks about people who have been in church long enough to be leading other people but they still um, need somebody else to put a bottle in their mouths. They have not taken the initiative to to step out into ministry. And of course what we find in 2 Corinthians 5 is the ministry that every born again believer has been given. And it's referred to as the ministry of reconciliation. All right. Now, the one last thing, and I'm gonna, if I comment, it'll be brief uh, in the sense of last week the comments were not brief, they were extensive, not exhaustive, but extensive. But we see in this portion of Scripture a crossroads, an intersection, many different roads of teaching, many different avenues of doctrine intersect in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21 that, of course, is not by accident or coincidence. It's by providence. It's orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. Because what we see contained within this setting of all these different doctrines is this presentation to you and me where Father has given to us this ministry of reconciliation. So a discipleship counselor is a minister of reconciliation. It's, it's just two different ways in my um, you know, understanding of what the way I present and teach these things is that minister of reconciliation, discipleship counselor, are synonymous with one another. Okay. Now, let's uh, let's look at these. For the love of Christ, verse 14, 2 Corinthians five and verse fourteen. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. So look at me for a moment. Okay. Paul's talking about his understanding the love of the love that God had for him. That was revealed to him. One of the most important things you can ever have revealed to you is just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. Okay? So I have no problem with you telling Him that you love Him. Please do that. But I would also recommend that you begin to confess daily that He loves you, to begin to thank Him for loving you. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you love me. Father, I know that you love me. I be- in, in 1 John, He says, We have believed, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. And ask Him to reveal His love for you, to you. That you would be able to comprehend what is the full dimension of His love. The height, the breadth, the length, the width, the the depth. All different dimensions of it, right? Because the more we understand His love for us, this translates into our ability to understand the love that He has for every human being. And it was that understanding that compelled Paul to be the minister, the servant, Um, that he uh, was, and the same will be true for you and me. So, he said, we judge, we come to this conclusion that if one died for all, then all died. We said, that's speaking of Jesus' work for us on our behalf as our substitute, the substitutionary work of Jesus. We'll spend some time on that subject at a later date. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, because of this, in light of this truth, from now on, a line in the sand, our life before this understanding and our life after it. We recently celebrated, I say celebrated, that was a poor choice of words. We, we, we memorialized 9-11, we remembered 9-11 in, in this country and honored those who lost their lives on that, on that day. And uh, for a lot of us, um, it, it was the Pearl Harbor of a generation before us. In other words, we had life before that event, and then we had life after that event. And and it had that kind of defining moment in our history as a nation. Well, this is another defining moment where we live no longer for ourselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, because of what Jesus, the love He has for us, translating into the love that He has for other people, it's, it's, it's making an adjustment, it's making a change, to the way we live and the way we even view life. And that is, first of all, we regard no one according to their flesh. We're not going to judge people based upon what they look like, but we're also not going to judge people based upon how they behave. Because the outward actions, the outward appearance, and the outward behavior of a man or a woman is powerless, good or bad, to tell the full story of who they are in Christ Jesus. He says, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. In the same way, there was more to Jesus than met the eye. There is more to every born-again believer than meets the eye, and it's important for us to recognize that. As you minister to people, if you will see them for who they are, and you know them to be in Christ, as opposed to seeing them in light of their bad attitude or their annoying behavior or even their physical aroma. Come on now, Amen, Amen. Um, praise God. If you don't know what that means, you you hadn't been in some of the places I've been in, right? Amen. And and so the outward appearance, right? That's how the world judges. That's how the world operates. But we, because of Christ, we have the opportunity to deal with people, recognize people, acknowledge people, minister to people, and even help bring out of people who they truly are. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's talking about the new birth. Again, something we will spend a considerable amount of time on in the coming days. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So two key things here. Your salvation experience produced the end result of you being reconciled to God. That word reconcile means to be reestablished in a close relationship between. You were created by God not for service, although we do serve Him. You were created by God though not for service, not to serve him, not even to be ruled over by him. As we said last week and we'll say often in these classes, God had ruling through you in mind more than ruling over you, to make you a ruler, to share his authority and his rulership, even his throne. We're seated together with Jesus in heavenly places to share all of that with you. He is very secure in who he is. Are you hearing me? He's very secure who he is. He is not an insecure king. He is not an insecure king. All right, But he created you not for service. Certainly we serve him. But he created you primarily for fellowship. He created you because he is love and he created you as the object of his love. Amen. Amen. And so we see that we have been reconciled, reestablished back into that fellowship, that oneness with God, that union with him. Amen. Where we've become one spirit with him. Amen. And because we have been so thoroughly and completely and totally and eternally reconciled to God, He's now given to you and me the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Mark this, please. Anything that God does in you, He then wants to do through you. Anything He does in you, anything He does for you, He then wants to do through you. When you were born again, Amen. He now wants to use you as an instrument in others being born again. As as He baptized you in the Holy Spirit, He wants to use you to lay your hands on other people to see them baptized in the Holy Spirit. Same is true with healing. Same is true with prosperity. Same is true with wisdom. Anything He does in you, anything He does for you, He then ultimately wants to do through you. Amen. You have been so thoroughly healed You have been so thoroughly equipped with healing, amen, that you can lay your hands on sick people and they will recover. Praise God. This is the true gospel, my friend. This is the true gospel. Praise God. So, you've been reconciled to God. And because you have been so thoroughly, completely, eternally reconciled to Him, He has given to you the ministry of reconciliation. You say, well, what does that really mean? Well, he's going to go to the full extreme version of it right here. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Right? So here is ministry of reconciliation in yet more of the same but different terminology. Now then, as those who have been given this ministry of reconciliation, We have the identity of ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. Amen. And when you speak using the word of reconciliation that was given to you along with the ministry of reconciliation, it's as if God was pleading Through you to others, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. Amen. God still has a voice in the earth. Amen. (laughs) And that voice is your voice. Your voice. That voice is my voice. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. There's a lot of reasons why that verse is right there. One is because it's true. But two... It's there because of the enormous reach of you are an ambassador for Christ and when you open your mouth and speak to other people on His behalf, it's as if He is speaking through you, right? We just went so far beyond what the average born-again believer can accept, can comprehend, can receive, that most people reject it as God must be speaking to somebody else because He can't be speaking to me. okay? But here is why this is absolutely true about you, even if it seems to be well beyond where you are or think you are right now. It's because He made Him who knew no sin to be your sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. You have the same standing with God the Father this evening as Jesus Himself. And that is why when you speak as an ambassador for Him, it's as if He is speaking through you to those listening. Be reconciled to God. Verse 14, For it is Christ's love... I'm sorry. Praise God. I just jumped. Was verse 14. Same verses. I'll read them quickly from the Passion Translation. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that He has given His life for all of us. This means all died with Him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives but lives that are poured out for Him the one who died for us and now, praise God! I turned it too quick. Those uh, who died for us and now lives again. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one, but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ. He has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to Himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God In other words, it was through the Anointed One that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions, and He has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the Anointed One who carry the message of Christ to the world. We are ambassadors of the Anointed One who carry the message of Christ to the world. As though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. Come on now. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to Him. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. Praise the name of the living God. All right. now then, let's jump to where we left off on last Wednesday night. And we said that we need to understand two primary divisions, or we could simplify the word divisions with the word branches. Two primary branches or divisions of the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? Now, what we're going to focus on tonight, before I share once again with you those two branches, is we're going to, we're going to, we're going to talk about tonight the word of reconciliation which is just a a beautiful, poetic way of saying the Word of God. His words are the word of reconciliation. Now, in order for an individual to be equipped and effective in both of the branches or divisions of the ministry of reconciliation, you need the word of reconciliation. So those two primary divisions, first of all, are the new birth. The new birth. Now, new birth, again, synonymous with receiving salvation. When we receive salvation, we become born again. So we're talking about men and women getting saved. If we're going to simplify it, that's maybe how you refer to it, or how the pastor you grew up under, what have you, referred to it as receiving salvation, receiving the new birth, um, being born again. So again, that is the first branch of the ministry of reconciliation. And that experience removes enmity between an individual and God. It removes enmity between an individual and God. Enmity, enmity, if I could just briefly comment on this, enmity is speaking of the opposite of harmony. Enmity has to do with disagreement. And there is a spectrum of Enmity. Enmity can be as simple as a difference of opinion. You say tomato, I say tomato, right? And so obviously that is low level enmity, but there is a disagreement there. Amen. Are you with me? But that spectrum of enmity can go from a simple difference of opinion all the way to violent hatred. And everything in between a difference of opinion and violent hatred on the enmity spectrum is enmity. Okay? Now, our sin created enmity between us and God. Amen. And it separated us from Him. Sin is what separated us from God. Sin is what separated us from God. Remember, not to establish a close relationship between, but to reestablish. We're talking about God and Adam drinking Milo's sweet tea in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden before he sinned, right? There was fellowship there. There was union there. There was was closeness there. There was oneness there. Sin separated God from Adam. It brought brought disharmony. It brought that lack of union. It brought separation. So that's enmity. The new birth removes that enmity between an individual and God. In other words, once that enmity is removed, that union, that oneness, is reestablished. Okay? Now, this is... (coughs) Is not um, th- this is not like uh, you know you have to have a doctorate in theology to do this. The Bible says that we're not ashamed of the gospel, Romans one, because it is the power of God unto salvation. So the idea, of course, is notice the 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 gospel, the 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 message, the story of Jesus. That story contains within it the power of God for a man or a woman to be born again. So as a minister of reconciliation, we can lead folks into the new birth by sharing that gospel message with them. Amen. And should they receive it in their heart and believe it, confess it with their mouths, that individual will be born again. That individual will be born again. I want you if you've never experienced this, if you've never done this, I want you to begin right now tonight, make it a goal that you're going to find an individual that doesn't know Jesus and you're going to lead them to Jesus. Amen. That is what a minister of reconciliation does. And when you speak to them and tell them that Jesus took their sin and the punishment and blame and consequences of their sin so they could go free from it, right? You you it's as if God is speaking through you to that person. See Now remember, and this is one of the mistakes that so many people make, we look at people and we say, well, you know, that dude's got tattoos all over him. He probably doesn't want to hear about this Jesus that I know. So you just judge somebody by the outward appearance. You follow what I'm saying? Well, that person's older than me. That person's younger than me. That person's older than me and they probably don't want to hear anything I have to say. There's all of these reasons that we concoct in our minds. Listen to me, please. It's not our responsibility to save a man or a woman. It's our responsibility to tell them the story of Jesus, amen, and then at least at that point, they have the opportunity to say yes or no. But the power unto salvation is in that message. And what a shame that so many billion people on planet earth have never heard the message. Okay? Now, we said two primary divisions, the ministry of reconciliation. And so the second one is discipleship, okay? So, two branches. The branch that is the new birth, the branch that is discipleship. Now, if new birth removes enmity, and notice I capitalized it, all caps on purpose, it removes the enmity between an individual and God. Discipleship removes the enmity within a person between their soul and their born-again spirit. Now, we'll explain this in greater detail in the coming days. We'll, we'll explain it complete with drawings, okay, so that you can see it very clearly. And I'm just trying to give you an overview tonight uh, of these things. And, 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 you know, we said last week sometimes we, you know, we just build it and then sometimes we go and we lay the wall and then we backfill, all right? So we're, we're giving some overview I'm trying to provide some context for why what we're going to talk about tonight is so important. But this is the ministry of reconciliation. This is why He said to us, go make disciples of all nations. Obviously, a man or woman has to be born again before they can be discipled. Right? So, if a person is not born again, our our focus is to share with them the message, to share with them our testimony, to share with them what Jesus has done for us. To share with them how He changed our lives. Amen. And and, and to to keep ministering that to them. But once a man or woman is born again, we then enter into the ministry of reconciliation, the branch of that ministry that is this thing called discipleship. And discipleship removes the enmity within. Right? So there's two uh, different kinds of enmity that the ministry of reconciliation addresses. The first one is obviously the big one. This is the enmity that separated us from God, that separates a man or a woman from God. The new birth removes that enmity once and for all, okay? But there is an enmity that lingers. Yes, Miss Kens. Yes, thank you. I should have I I reviewed that a little closer. All right? So, th- the question for those of you watching online is reestablished once, does that mean when we were small children? No, that's not what that means. It, it, it means the relationship that he originally always intended to have with mankind that he enjoyed with Adam and Eve before they sinned. Okay? So, it's a reestablishing of a relationship that he previously had with us Right. that was separated... Praise God. Listen listen now. I I, I don't want to freak you out. Just hear me please. Okay, All of you please hear me. The Bible clearly teaches that it was not your sin that separated you from God. It was Adam's sin that separated you from God. I'm not saying we haven't sinned. We've all committed our fair share of sin. But we were all inside of Adam in seed form. Again, that's hard for us to comprehend. We'll spend at least a class on this one point in the coming days, right? But the Bible clearly states that when Adam sinned, because we were all in him in seed form, we were all corrupted. And because of Adam's sin, we were all born from a corrupted seed. This is why we must be born a second time of an incorruptible seed. A seed that not only has not been corrupted, but cannot be corrupted and it produces within us an indestructible heredity. Praise God. I'll show you all of this again in the coming days from Scripture. So, we're being made one with God again. When we were created by God, we were created to be one with Him. Our choice, Adam's choice, but it affected us, separated us from God. Jesus came as the last Adam, amen, to redeem us, to justify us, to remove that sin that separated us from God to take it out of the way. Amen. So that we could become reestablished uh, with God and become one with him once again. Yes, my sister. Is this is that synonymous with sanctification? It is yes, excellent question. Um, it is synonymous with sanctification um, according to a biblical definition of sanctification as opposed to a religious <laughs> definition, right? Because, you know, there are lots of denominations that define sanctification different ways. We're going with what the Word of God says and what that word meant in the original language, and it's exactly what you're saying. So again, if, in light of that question, um, the question for those watching online is would this then be synonymous with what the Bible teaches at sanctification? And the answer is yes, okay? But here's the, here's the amazing thing. Are you ready? This happens instantly, this is gone the moment a man or a woman cries out and receives for themselves, right, what Jesus did on their behalf. The enmity that separated them from God and the death that it caused is, is obliterated, right? So this is, happens instantly. This happens progressively. This is an instant uh, uh, event. This is an ongoing process. Amen. Because this enmity is inside of us, right? Where part of us wants to pray and part of us wants to sleep. Part of us wants to do what's right and part of us wants to, wants to live for the flesh and by the flesh, okay? And so the, the enmity there resides within our thinking. It resides within the soul or most specifically the mind, okay? And so let me give you some Bible verses. Just, we're not going to turn to them again. Romans 8. To be carnally minded is death. Death means separation. To a born-again believer who still thinks like someone who's not born again, they're going to be separated from all the rights, privileges, blessings, benefits that belong to them as a child of God. They're going to live as if, as he says in Ephesians, as if they're outsiders, as if they're still aliens from God. When they are not alienated, they're insiders. They're one with Him. But because they have not been renewed yet in the spirit of their mind, they're living in the futility of of carnal thinking and experiencing a life reality that reflects carnal thinking instead of one who thinks like someone who has been born again. I just said a whole bunch right there uh, really fast. Okay? All right, (laughs) praise God. So, again, we, we will spend a lot of time on these things in the future. I'm just trying to help you again with an overview of the two primary divisions of the ministry of reconciliation. Now, let's go back. I said it, I said it in that last long uh, run, if you will. Um, but let, let, me, let me go back, okay? Death, I'm going to say it a couple of times because we got to get our minds renewed to this. Death means separation. Death means separation. Death means separation when someone physically dies they do not cease to exist the spirit and soul that is housed within their physical body separates from that physical body for a born-again believer he says it this way to be absent from the body he refers to this physical body that your spirit and soul now reside in as a tent a temporary dwelling place. But God has prepared for your spirit and soul a house. Amen. Speaking of a glorified body, a permanent dwelling place. Right now we're living in a tent, but thank God He has prepared for us a house for your spirit and your soul. So to die is separation. Physical death is when your spirit and soul separate from your physical body. Spiritual death, and the Bible speaks of both physical death and spiritual death, right? In the same way the Bible speaks of both, spiritual life and physical life, okay? So, for instance, physical life is bios. We get our English biology from it. Um, Spiritual life is zoe. Jesus said to people who are biologically alive, I've come to give you life. He didn't say in the original language, I've come to give you bios. They had bios. Bios is temporary. He said to those who had bios, But no zoe, I've come to give you zoe. Zoe means the life and nature of God. And he says, I've come to give it to you in overflowing abundance without end. That's eternal zoe, abundant zoe. Eternal life. You ever heard eternal life? Abundant life, John 10.10? Okay. That word life there is zoe. It's the life and nature of God. It's speaking of the spirit life. It's speaking of the life of God's spirit. Amen. Okay? So, again, death means separation. So when someone dies physically, their spirit and soul separate from their physical body, like a hand slipping out of a glove, all right? When someone dies spiritually, this is when their spirit is separated from God's spirit, okay? We were created to live in union with God, for our spirit and his spirit to be joined together, and for the life that is in God to flow from him into you and me. Sin broke that, severed that union, and we became spiritually dead we became spiritually dead. Amen. I'm just just telling you. Praise God. But Jesus came to give us new life. He came to to renew and, and reunite and make us one again with God the Father. So when a man or a woman is born again, the spirit that's in that person prior to that experience, God doesn't refurbish that old spirit this is why the Bible says we died with Christ we were buried with him he puts a new spirit in that person and that new spirit that's what he prophesied remember Ezekiel I put a new spirit in them put a new spirit in him Amen. they didn't know what he was talking about I don't think a lot of folks did but we know now looking back that he put a new he puts a new spirit in us when we're born again one that's born not of Adams corrupted seed but one that's born of God amen One that that is a partaker of God's divine nature. This is who you are. This is your true identity in Christ. Amen. And then he immediately takes that newly born again spirit and he makes it one spirit with his spirit. Amen. If you were to take a container of God's spirit, picture of, uh, of it as water, and if you were to take your newly born again spirit, again, another picture of water. Came from the same source, but they're not the same. But then poured them both into one container so that now both spirits become one spirit. Amen. That's what happened to you when you were born again. That's what happened to you when you were born again. Okay? And that happened instantly, and any sin that would ever separate you from God has already been bought, paid for, and the consequences endured by Jesus so that our sin can never separate us from Him again. Okay? I know that makes a lot of people nervous. Got some people stirred up with me recently about making those kinds of statements. If you're here six classes in, i got to believe you're going to be here for the end. All right. So I'm going to make statements like that. If they disagree with your doctrine or theology, we can both go to heaven together. But stay around long enough for me to at least explain to you from 15 different verses or more in the Word of God why it's the case, and then all the ones that you think contradict it. Let me explain those to you as well before you make your final decision. Fair enough? All right, now, <clears throat> we have used the example more than once um, to explain reconciling um, the example of a checkbook. And I was thinking about it this afternoon. Um, I made what, for me and Pam, was a, you know, well, it, was, it was my paycheck, okay? So, obviously, <laughs> we need that. I don't know about you, but, you know, paycheck helps, you know? And um, <clears throat> I uh, just, I, I wasn't even, going, I never even thought about it, right? But I do my stuff online. Um, you know, we don't get the stuff mailed to the house anymore, that stuff. Just do it all electronically. And man, I man, we, either me or Pam spent some money. We didn't, because sometimes, you know, you spend money, you don't realize, you know. But I'm like, my, that balance ought to be more. Well, it turns out they put my paycheck in some dude's bank account in Chattanooga. Yeah. Hello. Right. So, so um, and of course the bank fixed it. You know, and once they apologized, figured out what was going on here. Now, the idea, of course, is that you have what in your checking account. You have what you think you have, but then you get the thing each month called the statement, and the statement tells you the truth about what you have. Okay. And reconciling is when you line up what you think you have with what you, what you really have. That's reconciling a checkbook. Yes? Okay. So, when we talk about a ministry of reconciliation, obviously preach the gospel, people hear, believe, confess, born again, this happens. Boom. Discipleship, on the other hand, is all these things that we think and believe about ourselves and about others and about God, that don't line up with the truth. That Because this is the statement right here. This this is the statement. And if if you're born again, the Bible says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you think and believe you're not, that's enmity. Because you have an opinion of yourself different from the one God has of you. You believe something to be true about yourself that Father God says isn't true anymore. And that, that's enmity. Okay? And so this is why the ministry of reconciliation, also known as discipleship, also, as Mary Catherine said, would, would, would be the same as synonymous with sanctification, is where we take our thoughts with the help of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and other people that God's put in our lives And we bring them into alignment with the statement from home office, from corporate. Amen. And that's a process. That's a process. I've been saying this for some time now here, Heritage Foundry, anywhere anybody let me tell them anything about Jesus, right? and that is the formation of your mindset and influencing the formation of your mindset is one of the devil's primary objectives. He works overtime to try to get you to believe things to be true about yourself that do not line up with the truth. See, the truth is you're an ambassador. The truth is you're a royal priest. The truth is you're a holy nation. The truth is you're just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus because you've been given His righteousness as a gift. You've been made His righteousness as a gift. The truth is, old things have passed away, all things become new. Now all things are of God. All that's true. truth is you're loved unconditionally, eternally. Amen. Are you hearing me? All that's true now. The truth is you're a son of God. The truth is you're a daughter of God. The truth is you've been given the same glory that was given to Jesus. The truth is you love with the same love by Father God that Jesus is loved with. The truth is you're as much a part of, of, of God and as, as one with Him as Jesus. Because you're in Jesus. The truth is tonight, according to John 17, that when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have a conversation that includes you, they use the word us. 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 That's true, see. That's true. And it's enmity when we say, oh no, not me, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. See, it's enmity. enmity. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. It's enmity. Enmity cost Him. And he, and, he, and he had enough of it costing Him. And so Jesus just came and laid down a sacrifice and paid a price that would forever eliminate it for those who want it to be gone. See, we, we, I said this last week, it's just rising up in me again. I didn't make this deal. I didn't insist on it. I didn't demand it. I didn't say, you either give me the same standing with you as Jesus or don't even bother God. No. He decided all of that. And who do I think I am to argue with Him? Who do I think I am to tell Him I'm not loved when He says I am? Who do I think I am to tell Him I'm not right with Him when He says I am? Who am I to tell him I can't when he says I can? How dare me believe I'm a loser when he says I'm more than a conqueror. Are you, are you, are you, are you, right? Talk about how weak I am. Talk about how sick I am. Talk about how poor I am when he says I'm rich, when he says I'm healed, when he says I'm strong. Best advice I could ever give anybody. Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Quickly. If He says you are, see, see, this is where faith comes into all this, right? Pastor Mark, I heard mean, what you're saying, but you don't know what I did this week. You don't know what I said this week. You don't know what I was thinking in my heart before I went to bed last night. See, again, you're looking for evidence to support what He says before you believe what He says is true. That's not faith. If you wait until you're behaving righteously to believe you're righteous you'll never behave righteously but you believe you are because he says you are you believe you are because this is what he made you you believe you're healed because he says by his stripes you not are healed you were healed I had a serious issue with my foot it was chronic the doctor said you got to get some corrective footwear because you're going to deal with this the rest of your life big guy Man, me and Pam just agreed, I ain't doing this rest of my life. So pray and believe. Like a lot of you struggle, you know, man, Father, I know I'm healed, I know I'm healed. Well, really, I, was, I know you're going to heal me, I know you're going to heal me. Ain't no such thing as going to get healed. See, again, that's enmity. We don't even realize it. God didn't say you're going to get healed. God said you were healed. If He says I am, and I say I'm going to be one day, that's enmity, right? I was out there in the sanctuary praying about it. Man, I, I looked down at that foot. I had my Darth Vader starter kit. John Mark was young in those days. He loved Star Wars. You know, he's like, Dad, what's, what's that? I see, you know, a big old black boot coming up my leg. And I told him it was my Darth Vader starter kit, and we just laughed about it, right, you know. Had my Darth Vader starter kit on. My foot was hurting me so bad, I couldn't hardly stand up, man. I tried to get up on the platform and preach, and you know, I'd have to go up the steps sideways, you know, and stuff. And I'm like, And I remember looking at my foot. I said, Father, if you say I was healed and my foot says I'm not, somebody's lying and I choose my foot. I choose my foot. You don't lie. Somebody's not telling the truth. If he says my foot's healed and my foot says it ain't healed, who am I going with? I think I'll go with God. And I'll believe what He... You see, that's that's getting the enmity out of the way and, and getting into alignment. Said, your foot quit hurting instantly? No. No, it didn't. But I kept calling it a liar. Amen. And I, I, it was one of those things, you know, I mean, I've had like instant things, but, it, you know, where the Lord just healed me instantly, immediately, you know. But this was like just, I don't know, it's like one day I realized, dude, your foot's not hurting anymore, you know. And it has not hurt me since, and that was, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Are you, are you you getting this whole concept of what it means to reconcile, this ministry of reconciliation? And so do you see why, obviously, we got to preach the Word for people to be born again, but then, if we're going to help disciple folks, help them get the enmity that still... Is harbored in their thinking. We gotta, we gotta know something about this right here, right? We gotta know something about the statement. We we you know we gotta be able to show folks in the scriptures where the, what the truth really is. Amen. Alright. So I want you, let me let's praise God. Let's do this. You get anything out of this tonight? Thank you for the feedback. Praise God. All right. So I want you to notice that both branches are mentioned in the following verses. Now that now that you have this um, uh, paradigm, now that you have this understanding, I want, I, want to, I want you to use it to see now these two branches in, in, in some verses of Scripture. Um, so long story short, I I bought a, a truck in my cabinet business. It's a charcoal gray truck. And... It was using oil at an unprecedented rate. Brand spanking new truck. Kind of went back and forth with Chevrolet dealership. And finally, after some tests and all that stuff, they admitted that, okay, this isn't right. And so they're going to make it right with me and let me swap it for another one. Well, they didn't have a charcoal gray one. And so Pam was with me and I, you know, I said, well, you know, baby, they got that. Maroon, when it's the one that's out here, you know. Did you see me drive some? Yes, so they got that one. I said, I really wanted another charcoal gray one, but I said I, that must be kind of a rare one. I, I've never seen one that color. I, I, I think I want to get that one. It's pretty to me. Yes, let's do it right. <clears throat> I think I saw three trucks that color on the way home from the dealership. <laughs> see, previously I. I, because I, it wasn't on my radar, right? Now, now that it's been brought to my attention and I'm aware of it, I'm seeing what had always been there but missed before. Alright? So, these two branches of the ministry of reconciliation. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 3 and 4. I'll put it up on the screen. It says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And I think we looked at this verse on our, during our first class. And I read this verse because, again, of a preconceived understanding of a, of a filter that I had in place that was incorrect. I thought coming to the knowledge of the truth and getting saved were the same thing. I thought you came to the knowledge of the truth and you got saved. Well, obviously, you got to hear some truth to get saved. But that's not what he says here. He desires, watch me now, he desires all men. Well, I was going to put it, praise God. Let me go back. I may just, um, if y'all don't mind, I may just leave this up here for a minute. All right? Okay. Desires all men to be saved. You got it already? And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, if you understand that to the natural man, the things of God are foolishness, according to 1 Corinthians 2. And it's not until we're born again that we are given the mind of Christ. Think something within you that gives you the ability to process truth. Or you can't even process it. It's like trying to take a program that was designed for Windows and, and use it on an Apple computer. It's not, it, it won't process. Well, before we were born again, we didn't have the ability to process the truth, right? Now, all men be born again, come to, you know, be saved, and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you see both branches of the ministry of reconciliation? Let me give you another one. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. It says this. It says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. The Apostle Paul went into this region. He began to preach the Gospel, tell people about Jesus who had never heard about Him. These people began to get saved, receive salvation, new birth, born again. Paul travailed. There was labor. There was sacrifice. There was probably even some suffering, some pain involved in what he had to experience and go through in order to get the message of Jesus to these men and women so they could experience the new birth. Now he says to them, church is formed. He's traveling. He writes a letter back to them. And he says to them, I'm now in labor again for you so that Christ might be formed in you." Now, he's not praying that they would get saved a second time. The literal translation of this is, for the inward reality of their new birth to become an outward expression of life. For the reality of who they became the day they became a new creation in Christ Jesus, to become something that they express, something that they experience and something that they enjoy in their daily walk, in their life reality. Amen. So again, do you see, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again. He labored in birth the first time for them to be born again. Now he's laboring in birth again for the inward reality of that new birth to become evident, to become expressed, to become experienced, to become enjoyed. Amen. In their outward uh, daily lives. The two branches of the ministry of reconciliation. The new birth and discipleship. Amen. So a moment ago, when we talked about all those things that are true about you now, that you're thinking, right? <laughs> you don't see yourself as, as... How about this one? Amen. I'm not just trying to pick on you, but Jesus said in John fourteen twelve, the works that He did, speaking of miracles, signs, and wonders, you would do also, and even greater works because He went to His Father. Amen? That, that includes casting out devils. That includes healing people who are blind. That includes laying your hands on the sick and sick. You follow what I'm saying? that's what Je- I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. He went on to say, we looked at these verses a couple of weeks ago, He went on to say, to the original disciples, you go preach and those who believe, next generation if you will, those who believe, speak with new tongues, cast out devils, tread on all the power of the enemy. Um, Nothing will hurt them. And they'll lay their hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Again, notice, this is what Father said. Let me, let me stop here. Listen to me, please, okay? We're going to talk about this in a minute, but I, I, I need to get it said right now, okay? Many of us in this room have made a critical mistake that we don't ever need to make again. And that mistake is, we've taken the Word of God up here, and we've let it come down to and be equal with our experiences. So the Bible says, by His stripes you were healed. But we're still struggling with some kind of chronic pain issue, and so we say, well... The Bible must not mean that. It, that see, see we're, because our experiences are not lining up with the Word of God, we have this tendency to bring the Word down to the level of our experiences. We've got to let the Word bring our experiences up. Right? Amen. So, the enemy's trying to get you to bring the Word down on the level of your experiences when the Word of God is trying to bring your experiences up to the level of the Word. Amen. You seeing this? All right. Praise God. And we'll talk about how we do that, but it has to do with the place we give the Word of God in our lives. Amen. All right. So, let's just take righteousness as another example. And we're going to talk a lot about righteousness because. So many born again believers do not have what the Bible calls a righteousness consciousness, where where our how we see ourselves and 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 the you know your consciousness is your self awareness, right? So they don't have a righteousness consciousness; they still have a sin consciousness. They still see themselves as as a sinner, instead of as one who has been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All right. So when we talk about the inward reality become an outward expression of life see the spirit part of you is the deepest part of you in order for the reality that's in your born again spirit to become an outward expression of life guess what it's got to pass through it's got to pass through your soul and so many of so many times our thinking is like this it's it's saying no way Jose I don't agree with that I don't think that way I don't see that way you you, you follow I'm saying so if If God says you're righteous because He made you righteous and you've been born again and you're just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus inside of you right now, but your mind still says, I'm an addict. Your mind still says, I'm a failure. Your mind still says, all right. Then notice the true righteousness that you have can't break through that barrier of wrong thinking to become something that is expressed outwardly in your life reality. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Your soul is your mind, emotions, and will. And so all these things that are true about us inwardly, but if, if, if we still have that, that enmity in our thinking, let me say it another way, you, you can't live beyond your thinking. You can't think one way and, and consistently live another But the true righteousness, the true holiness that you've become at the deepest level of your existence as as our thinking, as we begin to see ourselves. and This is why the Bible says things like, let the redeemed say so. You need to confess out of your mouth, this is who I am. This is what's true about me now. Amen. Because we're bringing our thoughts into alignment with this. Well, When your thoughts come into alignment with it, this is when what's truly inside of you is expressed and experienced outwardly in your life so do you see why the devil's primary objective is to influence you know the formation of your mindset because even if he loses the battle in in keeping you from hearing the gospel and being born again and obviously he's lost that with you guys am I boring you? I don't want to bore you he's lost that battle with you but he doesn't like, oh well, Casey's saved, I might as well just go and try to mess with somebody else. No, now he's going to do everything he can to keep Casey from ever knowing what it means to be saved. From ever knowing what happened to him when he was. From ever thinking like somebody who's been born again, who's been made one with God, who's, who has the same access to God the Father as Jesus, same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus, same oneness with God, same Holy Spirit that was poured out on Jesus, poured out on Him. See, there's the devil's like Because even all even though all that's true, He never sees himself that way if he never thinks of himself that way. He'll experience little to to zero of that in his life reality. So do you see why Paul wasn't just interested in those folks in Galatia getting born again? He's like, I worked really hard, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of effort, a lot of labor to see you saved. Now, I'm travailing in birth again to see that inward reality, new birth become an outward expression of life. Discipleship. Amen? Can I give you a few few more? How about Philippians? Let's turn to Philippians right quick. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There's a couple in Philippians, actually. Um, Philippians 1 and 6. being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do I need to point it out or you got it by now? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Let me share something with you that really helped me. Really, really helped me in in my growth and development and understanding of the scriptures. The Bible speaks of your salvation in three different tenses. Okay? The same Bible that speaks of your salvation in past tense. Okay? Past tense meaning what? Have been saved. Past completed work. Done deal. Same Bible that says you have been saved also says you are being saved. Ongoing present tense work. And the same Bible that says you have been and are being also says you will be saved. Future tense. Now, denominational lines are drawn around beliefs about these different verses and what they mean. The typical question reflects the typical error. Which one is true? My friend, if it's God's Word, they're all true. Right? So how are we to understand it? The real you is the spirit that's inside of your physical body right now. And that part of you has been saved. Your soul, your mind, emotions, and will. That's the part of you that is being saved. It's a work in progress. The part of you that will be saved in the future is speaking of your physical body. The Bible says your salvation will be complete when this mortal is cashed in for an immortal body, a glorified body. That's comparable to the born-again spirit that's inside of the body that I see sitting in these purple chairs that I know is looking at me through this camera, that television, that computer screen, that smartphone right now. Amen. Has been saved. Are being saved. Physical body one day will be. Now, The way we can express the reality of this experience while in this earthen vessel is through the renewing of the mind. The more our minds come into alignment and agreement with the truth of this experience as revealed right here in the Scriptures, the more the truth of this experience is going to again be expressed enjoyed in our life reality. So I was asking in the beginning, can I review the classes up to this point? The reality of it is, this, 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 this is the heart of discipleship right here. What we're saying right now. This, this is the guts of it right here. Amen. Amen. So, he who began the work has promised to see it through to completion. Amen. That's his that I started just like just to throw a preaching fit, holler and scream. I must <sighs> Okay? Do you realize what he's saying to you? I started something in you the day you called on me and received my salvation. My promise to you is what was started on that day, I will see it through to the end. This idea that He's going to leave us or forsake us, are you kidding me? That is simply not the case. Yes, sister. Okay. With the exception of that last, that last, what he allows us to go through, right? In other words, he's he's trying to. No, it's we we're here on this earth in a war zone, right? Amen, and so, but yes and amen. Let's just praise God. So, amen. All right, good things, good things. So He began a good work in you. He began a good work in you. I like to say it this way. He is emotionally connected to you. He is eternally committed to you. And He is enthusiastically concerned for you. Okay? Amen. And He has more than a hundred year plan for you. (laughs) Amen. Amen. See, we put so much focus on our struggles here in the flesh. I'm not trying to minimize or justify or or say it's right or, or wrong or whatever. But my brother, my sister, let Him help you see the bigger picture for your existence He's already seen you doing things 10,000 years from now that bring glory to his name. And we worried about, you know, letting some wrong word slip yesterday and now we're going to hell because of it. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Just trust him. Let him help you and let's, let's get on with this. Amen? All right, let's go uh, while we're here. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. All right, it says this Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Okay? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking about this inward reality, again, of the new birth. But what's in you working its way out of you. This work out, this doesn't mean go make some side deal with God. I've heard people say it that way. You know, it's like, well, you know, me and, me and God, we got this thing figured out. You know, me and Him worked, we got this, like, like they have went and negotiated some deal with God or something. Are you kidding me? That is absolutely not what He's talking about. It doesn't mean like we're just... You know, just you, you and God figure it out. You and God work it out. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, work out your own salvation. So, notice salvation here, they're reversed, right? Work out your own salvation. The idea is you've been born again. Now, this reality of the new birth, let's, let's see it brought outwardly in your life. You got time for one more? <laughs> this is probably my favorite. Hebrews 10 and 14. Hebrews 10 and 14 praise God it just takes a minute to do this doesn't it you know praise God let me uh, let me just commend you tonight for your presence for your faithfulness let me commend you tonight for building your endurance amen praise God um, I tell you what I've Experienced and it's based on the Word of God, Hebrews eleven six. But um, Father has some; He has some very special things for you along the way in these classes. Um, What He calls simply rewards, Amen. But praise God. Just some of you, maybe a couple of years from now, just. Just call me one day when, when it just happens in your life. Amen, I'm telling you. He, he said you must believe that He is, and you must believe He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so, praise God, what you're doing tonight is diligently seeking Him. Alright, Hebrews 10 and 14, last verse on this section. Um, it says, For by one offering He has perfected forever... Those who are being sanctified. Hmm. (laughs) It's not a riddle. By one offering. That one offering that He talks about here is when Jesus offered Himself as one sacrifice for all sin for all time. So by that one offering of Himself and, and you and me receiving for ourselves what He did as our substitute now, by that one offering, He has perfected you until you make your next mistake. He's perfected you forever. He has perfected forever, cha. Okay? Those who are being sanctified. What He's saying here is that you are a perfect work in progress. See, our minds the not to do with this because we think, well, wait a second. If I still need work, I, I'm not perfected. If I'm already complete, then why do I still need to be sanctified and, and, and still need to, to grow and develop if, I'm, if I've already reached that maturity? That, that word perfected there is the word teleos. It doesn't mean perfect like we think perfect... It means that which has come to its uh, full maturity. okay? Again, He has perfected forever through the new birth, your spirit, your born-again spirit, those who are being sanctified. Amen? All right. <clears throat> so sanctified literally means to be set apart from one thing unto another. Many times when we think of being sanctified, we only think in terms of being set apart from, let's say, the world. Set apart from worldly thinking. Set apart from worldly behavior. But it's not just that we're being set apart from those things. We're being set apart unto godly behavior. Set apart to spiritually mindedness set apart to God's purpose and destiny for our lives. Does that make sense? So I use the example of the dishes that, that my wife um, has sanctified in our house. Okay? They're set apart from the 4th of July. They're set apart from um, you know uh, college football Saturday. They're set apart unto Christmas. Okay, We use them at Christmas. They're set apart. For that specific purpose. Because they're set apart and dedicated unto that, that means they are separated from all the other common uses and practices, right? So the idea of discipleship and sanctification being um, synonymous with discipleship, it, it is a process, okay? So spiritually we have been sanctified we see those same tenses right past and present which one is it it's both our spirit has been set apart right that spirit part of us is the part that the devil can't touch ever again right okay but then our mind emotions and will the part of us that the bible calls our soul that is a work you know where our minds are being set apart from the way we used to think Unto the way God created us and intended for us to think. And so that, that is a process. Yes, Brian? Consecrated and made holy. So again, the idea of, of, of consecrated, back to the simple dish analogy, right, is that it's, it, you know, we don't touch, the kids don't play with those dishes, you know. They don't, you know, there's Tupperware bowls and stuff that, you know, kids play around and, you know, put toys in or what have you. But no, no, not those. They're, 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 matter of fact, I mean, I'm, you know, my darling bride, she likes dishes. She likes glassware, okay? And she's got a lot of it. But those dishes, she has cases for them, white cases that are cushioned and quilted. And, they, and they're, they're wiped down and they're put in there and they're zipped up. And then I stand on a stool and I put them up on the highest shelf. I'm not kidding you, man. I'm, you see what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're honored. They're, there's, there's respect given. So all of that, the, 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 they're not treated um, you know, like paper plates. We treat them differently. We respect them differently. We care for them differently because we recognize that they're special Compared to things that we recognize as common, right? And so we need to recognize that we're special. We need to recognize that we're 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 a peculiar people. We we're a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood. We 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 we're ambassadors. We you know again and and notice he says it this way in John chapter seventeen verse seventeen. Jesus praying to the Father for you and me. Sanctify them by Thy truth. Thy word is truth. Your word is true. I memorized that verse in the King James years ago. Thy, you know, your word is truth. Amen. So notice the more our minds are brought into alignment with the statement from headquarters, the more that's going to separate us from this world. I mean, your family's gonna, some of you, you know, your family's gonna think you've lost your minds. Amen. They already do, some of you, yeah. It's like, you know. Just don't get it, right? You got a what to tell me? A funny, funny? less let's hear it, praise God. My daughter Elizabeth was helping me do the china after prison. Okay. She sleep, and she broke the vegetables. <gasps> Amen. Praise God. For those of you watching online, Sister Betty said her daughter broke one of the precious china pieces when they were putting them away, and she's told her that's your inheritance. If you break another, then it'll be another one that, that can't be replaced. So, praise God. Amen. Amen. I feel us slipping away. Praise God. Alright. <clears throat> Let's do this. Um, praise the name of the living God. Let's go to... Um, let me, let, me, let me kick it up on the screen right quick. Um, now all things are of God. I'm reading from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. You turn. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews 4 and 12. Can you multitask? Alright. So, Hebrews 4 and 12 is the verse I want you to turn to. But I want to just remind you one more time. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Right? Imputing means to keep record of. It's, a, it's an accounting term. All right. So he's no longer keeping a record, no longer keeping count, no longer keeping score of their, trans, of their trespasses. Why? It's because their trespasses have already been judged, sentence has already been handed down, penalties already been paid, sentence has already been served, De- it was de- actually his death sentence, and Jesus already died. Okay, so Father doesn't keep record of that anymore because that that's already paid for. This is why he says this is the condemnation in John three, that light's come to the world, but men chose darkness over the light. Okay, now let me just tell you that neither branch of the ministry of reconciliation is possible, even though you've been given the ministry of reconciliation, neither branch is possible apart from the word of reconciliation. In other words, tell me how you can get somebody born again without telling them about Jesus. (laughs) hey, it ain't happening, right? Okay. So, again, tell me how you can help somebody bring discipleship now, sanctification now, how you can help somebody bring their thoughts into alignment with God's truth without using God's truth. It's like trying to reconcile your checkbook without a statement from the bank. So, we are ambassadors. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation. And so, notice that as an ambassador, when you're speaking to men and women who need to be reconciled to God, either to be saved, born again, or to be discipled, it's when we speak His Word to them, it's as if He's speaking through you, to them. Amen. I don't know, I've heard different people given credit for this statement, but I don't know who said it first, but it is true, and that is, God's words spoken from your lips are just as powerful when spoken from His. Okay? So, the, the, the power of God is in His Word. And this is why you know, the power of God is unto salvation is in the Word of God. Brother Jerry O'Dell says it this way, it's not the messenger, it's the message. It's the message. Amen. Now, I thought we would have been here an hour ago. (laughs) But here we are. The Word of Reconciliation. The Word of Reconciliation. right? Now, I used to take what I'm about to tell you for granted. And the Lord really dealt with me about this. And when I say take for granted, I I used to just take for granted that people viewed the Word of God, you know and understood the Word of God as you know, for what it is, and, 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 and gave it that place in their lives. But I've since learned that there are a lot of people pastor huge churches, but the Word of God is just another book to them. It's just another source to quote from. And, um, and that's, that's sad to me. The Lord spoke to me end of last year, beginning of this one, that His people were wanting Him to do things in their lives that they haven't given Him place to do. He can only keep what you commit to Him. Have people all throughout the body of Christ who don't commit things to Him and then get mad at Him for not keeping them. doesn't work that way. Now, as is the case with a lot of things the Lord has taught me and led me to teach this family of faith here at Heritage over the years, He'll sometimes speak a statement like that to me that I know is Him, unmistakably it's Him, but it initially doesn't, I don't understand the full meaning of it, nor do I often initially see it in Scripture. But oh my goodness, the maroon trucks that I found in the Scriptures after He said that to me. One of the main ones that we see is when He came to His own hometown after traveling throughout the region of Galilee and going into every synagogue, reading those verses we read a couple of weeks ago, sitting down in the seat for the Messiah, people being healed, demons being cast out, all that was happening. He came to his own hometown did the same thing. And the Bible says he could do no mighty work there. Because their attitude was, I changed your diapers, you grew up with my children. Who do you think you are coming in here acting like a big shot? They even said these words are you ready? Physician heal thyself. Physician heal thyself. Let me let me let me tell you how to understand how derogatory a remark that was to Jesus. Okay? People who were considered scammers, charlatans, deceivers. We might call them snake oil salesmen. That would come in and promise a cure People would say, heal yourself. In other words, <laughs> you know, you ain't got nothing for us. Okay, that was their attitude. Notice they did not give him the place in their lives that he deserved. And it prevented him from being, it didn't say he wouldn't. It said he couldn't do any mighty work there among them. Okay? If I have learned anything this year, I have learned the importance of giving God and His words the place they deserve in my life. Amen. Amen. So, I want to encourage you tonight. See, let me, let me, thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm not here to preach and teach all this, but just, it's, Part of it is just I get excited about this because it's really burning in my heart. has been now for months. The other part of this though is I feel like I just need to say a few more words about this, okay? Jesus cannot have a place in your life His words do not have. Nor can His words have a place in your life He doesn't have. So there's a lot of folks, they don't want to give Jesus the time of day, but when they get in, in some situation, I bind you devil, I, I, you know, they want to use the Word of God to produce results in their lives. But they haven't given Jesus that place in their life because they haven't given Him that place. His words don't have place either. And, and, and vice versa. His words can't have a place you haven't given Him. He can't have a place you haven't given His words. Everybody wants to talk about how Jesus is my everything. Jesus means the world to me, but His words mean nothing to them. Right? Go sleep with whoever they want to sleep with. Go live however they want to live. Acting like He ain't ever said nothing about any of that. But Jesus is my everything. So He can't have a place in your life that you don't give His words. And His words can't have a place in your life that you don't give Him. So give God and His Word the place they deserve in your life. Make His Word your final authority. If you haven't done it, you need to get... I mean, just right now, it don't take long, my brother my sister. From this point forward, the Word of God is the final authority for my life. Allow His Word to have overriding supremacy in every situation. You ever heard the expression, the buck stops here? Amen. Overriding supremacy. No higher authority. Now see, listen to me please. People want to say, well, I gave God that place in my life. Again, He can't have that place in your life if you don't give His words that place in your life. I'll show it to you next week, but the Bible says that God prefers His word above His name. He puts His word above Himself. In other words, He doesn't say, "You know, do as I say, not as I do. If God says it, He doesn't just expect you to honor it. If He says it, He honors it as well. Places himself underneath his word. Allow his word to have overriding supremacy in every situation. The simple question you should ask for everything that has anything to do with you what does the word say? What does the word say? Should I do this or should I do that? What does the Word say? Should I go after this or should I go after that? What does the Word say? What should I do about the situation with my son? What does the Word say? What should I do about this situation with my boss? What does the Word say? What should I do about this? How about that thing? How about this over here? How about this relationship? How about this, Right? Pastor Mark, you know, I don't know. Should I I go here? Should I participate in that? Should I go? What does the word say? This is what we mean by overriding supremacy. This is what we mean by the final authority. It's not suggestions. You follow what I'm saying? It's not suggestions. And every word that he has ever spoken, he has spoken with your best interest in mind. Everything He has ever said to you, He has said because He only wants good for you. He hasn't said those things to take something good away from you. He said those things to you because He knows there's a lot of things that look good initially. But the Bible says there's a way that seems right, but it leads to death. What does the Word say? Come on now, somebody just say it for me. What does the Word say? I want you to get used to saying that, man. What does the word say? You wake up tomorrow and your elbows hurt, and what does the word say? Right? Amen. You feeling you feeling tempted? You feeling you know like you ain't gonna make it. You feel what does the word say? The word says you're more than a conqueror. See, because so many folks have not deliberately, intentionally, conscientiously given the Word that place in their lives. The word, what the Word says doesn't carry much weight for them. But if you'll make the Word of God your final authority, hmm, now all of a sudden, what does the Word say, right? What the Word says. Amen. Right? Because He wrote it, right? Amen. 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 And if listen, I, I mean no offense at this. If you don't know or you're not sure, ask somebody. Praise God. Praise God. But here's the beautiful thing about it. He's had something to say about anything and everything that, that would ever conceivably involve you. He's left nothing out. No stone unturned. you struggling with money? What does the Word say about money? God has a financial plan in His Word for you so that you can prosper. Say, <clears throat> so Pastor Mark, you know, I've struggled in the area of finances my whole life. What does the Word say? Let's do, let's do what the Word says, let's, let's tithe. Let's give. The Bible teaches us tithe. That's 10% of the increase. It belongs to God. If you spend it on yourself, you're robbing God. There's an offering. That's anything you give to God above and beyond the tithe. And then there's something called an alm. A-L-M. An alm is when you see somebody in need. Maybe they need some food. Maybe they need some gas for their car. What have you. Then that's something you do again, right? The tithe belongs in the storehouse, so that there will be meat in my house. That's what God said. And He said to bring it. Amen. I believe if 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 <laughs> I believe if we learn how to tithe, we'll never relapse, right? Because we'll consistently become in the God house, God's house, acknowledging that He's the source of every good thing in our lives and giving Him what belongs to His. Belongs to Him. Amen. I, I, I'll open the windows of heaven, pour out blessing you don't have room enough to contain. Amen. You don't do alms, you do alms in secret, in private. You don't talk about, it. you don't embarrass somebody that needs some help, and you, okay. well, you know, they couldn't pay their light bill, but I came along and paid their light bill, right? Well, whatever good feeling, warm, fuzzy feeling you got from that's the only reward you got coming, according to Jesus. But he said, if you'll do it in secret, Father rewards you openly. Amen. He said, if you give sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, but if you give bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. That's exactly what he said. Amen. He said that he gives seed to plant and bread to eat. Everything that you have right now, it came from God. Every good thing in your life came from him. And there's an element to everything you have right now, even your time. That's both bread and seed. In other words, there's a part for you to consume and there's a part for you to give. There's a part for you to enjoy and eat and there's a part for you to plant. If a farmer eats all his corn and doesn't plant any, save any to plant for next year, he's going to starve to death. And one of the problems we have with the body of Christ is we, we eat everything. We consume everything and we don't plan anything and wonder why we're always struggling financially. What does the Word say? What? See, again, this, Pastor Mark, you believe all that? I am all that. Everything you just said is kingdom, principles. kingdom. It's kingdom. It's kingdom. She said everything that I just said is kingdom principles. Amen. And it's absolutely right. right, you're at Hebrews 4.12 and I'm out of time. Here's what it says. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is alive. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierce to the division of... Now I want you to notice, we've mentioned it tonight. We haven't gotten into our full teaching on spirit, soul, and body. But notice in this verse, spirit, soul, joints, and marrow is speaking of the physical body. Spirit, soul, and body. All three mentioned right here. A discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible, that word discern means able to distinguish, able to judge, able to recognize, right? So notice, not just what you're thinking and what you do, But intent means why you do it. Word of God understands all that about you. And it's able to correct it. It's able to fix it in your life. Amen? Well, some things I'll tell you next week go something like this. You may not understand the Bible, but the Bible understands you. Amen? And it's the only book you'll ever read that'll do what? It'll read you back. Amen. All right. let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank You for helping us, Lord, understand what the ministry of reconciliation is, helping us understand these two branches, helping us understand what You've already done in our lives through the new birth and what You are doing in our lives through discipleship and through the renewing and reconditioning of our minds. Thank You, Father, tonight for helping us, Lord, um, lay hold of Your truth and, Lord, to continually cooperate with You in bringing our thoughts into alignment with your statement of truth. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Good things coming.